Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Adventures in Isochronology, where we watch the Ecclesia wake up from her history in real time. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the program. We are your host, Ben Lawrence and Matthew Miller. Welcome to the program. Well, Tim's, and I always call you Tim. Sorry, ladies and gentlemen, that is his uh, affectionate nickname. But uh, Ben, why don't you tell us about your thoughts leading up to tonight's program and which chapter we're going to be covering? We're going to continue uh, into Genesis 17. Uh, Happy New Year, everybody. Hope you had a good holiday season. Um, Hopefully you were with family and with loved ones and were able to get refreshed. Um, Lots of things happening in the news, which we really don't have time to get into, but um, I hope that all is well with all of you. Uh, this is a very exciting chapter. There's a, a lot to talk about, and um, forgive me, I have uh, been <laughs> um, a little bit deficient with episodes through the holiday. I've been pretty busy with, with family, and uh, even today, um, I'm a little bit behind schedule, so uh, bear with me, um, but it's good to be with everyone. This chapter is, uh, well... It's rather refreshing. Um, I love it. Uh, That's to put it lightly. I absolutely uh, love this chapter and everything that it entails. Um, As we begin to pick up speed as God is driving us, uh, you know, forward uh, with his, well, with his promise. It's absolutely amazing. So, uh Ben, you want to start reading and read this first stanza, or however far you want to, and we'll jump into it. Amen. All right. Uh, I will start here in verse 1, and I have the ESV. Is that okay, or is there another version you'd like me to read out of? Oh, no, that is plenty suffice. Okay. All right. Genesis 17, starting in verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but you shall be called Abraham, for I am have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring 
after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring for after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Well, here we have it. We finally have the name change. Uh, we finally have things put into play. And, uh, boy, we get this right from the beginning that, uh, well, it's pretty obvious uh, from his age uh, that uh, things were going to be rather difficult. Uh, make no mistakes about it. Uh, and it's amazing that even though that he plainly states that I will make you exceedingly fruitful and will make nations of you. Kings will come out of you. So you're thinking this is just talking about Abraham's physical seed. And that's what you're thinking. But no, that's not what he said. I mean, uh, even though he is the father of a multitude of nations, literally... Lottie Dottie, everybody is going to be blessed through him. And this seed throughout all of their generations. And this is, well, it's, it's, it's wonderful. And we, of course, get the, uh, this, this token, uh, this, this sign. Uh, about the male child uh, throughout all their generations. So uh, with this all in lieu of, well, Revelation chapter 12, it really is exciting to me. But those are my opening comments. Ben, back to you. Well, I uh, I do want to talk about the name change, but first I want to talk about this word that he says, because he literally comes out and tells him to be perfect. Um that's a rather interesting choice of words, don't you think? It is. Uh, it it really is an interesting uh, choice of words because how are you supposed to do that? Right. Uh, I, I'm. I'm not sure how you're supposed to be entirely uh, truthful, or uh, literally, this is talking about a perfect integrity. Uh, so I am at, at a loss at this point here in this text, just as Abram was. How on earth are you going to do that? That's that's my thought about that idea. But your thoughts, please. Well, the the, the first thing that comes to mind is if when you look at this word in the original Hebrew, tamim is the word. It calculates to four ninety, and um, you know. What what did Jesus tell them in the New Testament? How many times are you supposed to forgive? Seven times seventy. Um, this is the opposite of what many people are thinking. What I mean by that is is that he tells you in this first stanza he says that you and your offspring, I'm giving you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. Canaan, as we've talked many times, is a picture of those who are trading. The trading, of course, is what they were doing in the temple, which is what the Christ literally cleared the temple of these traders. 
Um, you would go out and do whatever you wanted to do all week, show up on Sunday and give an offering, and then you could go back to doing whatever it was you wanted to do. And they thought that that was perfectly appropriate. And Christ was actually looking for something which was actually inverted. Um, and I think it's hinted here in this, this use of word because this 490, I mean, over and over and over and over again in the Bible, we see that the manner in which you, you judge is the manner in which you will be judged. And instead of us going and looking for our forgiveness, we need to be forgiving. Right. He's 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 showing us, I think, a hint of that in this in this word here, this this 490, that really this is this is talking about our our, our internal um, weights and balances, um, looking externally at, at everyone else around us. Is the problem with me or is the problem with them? And um, where do those scales line up? I think that's really a hint at what he's getting at with uh with Abram in this, in this particular um, discussion, but your thoughts? Well, absolutely. And we're going to have to obviously uh, use some isochronology here because this word you're referring to, it's exact case and form is spoken of Noah. And we talked all about the Noahide mm -hmm. law um, last time, mm -hmm. uh, but this is the word used uh, this uh, Tamayim. Uh, mm -hmm. From Genesis chapter 6 and verse 9, this is the history mm -hmm. of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. Noah walked with God. So literally, uh, everybody has to realize that, well, um, that's exactly what God just said to Abram. But you're not seeing it. Now, now I just read it, but let me read it again. This is the history of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. Noah walked with God. Now, what does God say? I am God Almighty. Genesis 17.1 Walk before me and be blameless. So he was literally telling Abram to become a Noah. That's, that's literally what he was saying. It, Or perhaps you have a different view. Your thoughts, Ben? No, I think that's I think that's exactly right, and uh, it, there's a I think there's a double meaning in there as well because um, the sacrifice was supposed to be uh, blameless, right? And Abram uh, uh, having his name changed to Abraham was to understand that in any situation. Um, you're supposed to line that up perfectly, and then you're supposed to move it a little bit to the left or right to make sure that you end up with the short end of the stick and everyone else ends up with a little bit more. Um, he, he's literally <laughs> telling Abram, you need to make sure that everyone else ends up better than you do. Uh, uh, just like any other sacrifice, any other offering that was being made to the Lord. Um, He's, he's making that very plain here with that use of 490. I absolutely agree with you. Uh, no doubt about that at all. And, you know, you you mentioned, you know, Christ, um, you know, forgive that integer there. But that's not the only time it is. I mean, uh, we have in Daniel 
of course, the length of 70 weeks, we know that from the time of that prophecy to Christ actually came, was that integer of time. So this idea in of itself is of iso-chronological significance. And this is something he's telling you way up front. And if you don't keep this tucked away in the back of your memory, when you get to the rest of the Bible, you're going to be a little bit lost. You're going to be a little bit confused about where you're at or what you're going through, what you're experiencing. And uh, I think that everybody needs to, to really, really consider that. Um, because without that, I'm just going to tell you from my own experience. Uh, when I read, uh, you know, First John, Second uh, Timothy, Luke, you know, Habakkuk, I would have been dazed and confused if I didn't have the foundation of this chapter in of itself and the um, isochronology at play that God shows you from the very first verse takes you straight back to Genesis 6 and letting Abram know that even though you aren't right now I want you to walk with me he didn't say he was walking did he Ben somebody said he didn't say he was a Noah he said he wanted him to become like Noah that's what he actually right. that's what he actually commanded of uh, Abraham but a lot of people miss that so back to you yeah, I think it's uh, it's interesting that um, if when you look for the first time that this word is used in the New Testament, it is in Acts 24, verse 16. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. Well, which is exactly what we've been talking about. Right, which is, I mean, you can't use that phraseology really toward God and men without being immediately taken back to Christ. <laughs> he grew in wisdom, right. stature, and in favor with God and man. So, and that was at the beginning of Jesus, correct? Amen. So, that was uh, at the advent of time when it states that from this point forward, he obeyed his parents. So, we can see that <clears throat> before these things happen with Jesus, well, prophetically, Jesus was like Abram. And then after that event happened, uh, when he begins to grow in wisdom statue and is in favor with God and man, prophetically, he is changed right there into an Abraham, or, like God just said, into a Noah. He made the course corrections, and he began to walk with God and when you walk with God, of course, of course, you're going to find yourself in favor with both God and men. So you know, I, I just I find that absolutely amazing. But yes, back to you. Well, and uh, to be clear, we we've talked a little bit about the sojournings. I, you know, you never hear anyone teach on that. Um, but you know, the Christ said that the the you know. He didn't have any place to rest his head. And that is exactly the same condition that Abram uh, found himself in. 
It is exactly the same condition that David found himself in when he was fighting with Saul. I mean, he literally was forced to leave his own bed and his own wife, and he went from place to place to place to place until the Lord took care of that situation. Um, this is this sojourning business is, I mean, that's a big deal. It is an extremely big deal. Um, and I can't, I can't emphasize that enough. Uh, the sojourning is a huge deal because for one, it keeps you in motion. God did not say, Ben, now I'm, I'm sorry to be upsetting to you. I'm sorry that you thought that uh, God was going to say, uh, you know, you need to lie down and relax, recline with me. But I'm sorry, that's that's not what he said. He said to stay in motion, and it is only from the transition, the translation, the journey of walking before the Lord... That you can be blameless. Because God is not dead. I mean, let's, let's go back to the prime example of emergency service personnel. What's the first thing they do when they show up uh, and are called to a scene? They check for motion. How do they do that? Are they breathing and do they have a heartbeat? That's motion. That's, that's a pulse. It is a rhythm. It is motion. It is, well, he, he is continually, continually, uh, through the Holy Spirit and our conscience, correcting our walk, correcting our course, adjusting our heading. But you have to be in motion once you're not moving. You're a dead issue. That is my thoughts on the matter. Amen. I mean, we we see this. I mean, <laughs> uh, Pharaoh literally called Jacob before him to ask him about this very subject. Amen. Amen, indeed. He did. I mean, this is not just... Um, this isn't just some random this isn't some random thing, and Jacob had quite a bit to say about it. I mean, I, I can think of two specific times when he does actually talk about what this condition's like. One would be in Genesis forty seven before Pharaoh, but the other time um would be when he was describing his conditions with his two wives, um, and the treatment he had received from his father in law. Both of those are <laughs> He's not describing a pleasant situation. I mean, let's just be honest about it. He's not describing something pleasant. He's describing something that is uh, anything but pleasant. And to your point, um, the whole point is to be a liaison, an intermediary, a, a buffer between uh, God and man. I mean, does anybody think that uh, Abram is is comfortable when he has the discourse with God about what he's going to do to Sodom and Gomorrah? <laughs> that was not a pleasant conversation, ladies and gentlemen. 
It just wasn't. Well, you know, to magnify your thoughts, ladies and gentlemen, surprisingly enough, you do realize that uh, you were expecting God to tell Abram to walk behind him. No. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. Now, just so you all know, what I'm telling you is true. It's real. Uh, look up H 1980. That's definitely to walk. It's to walk. And uh, the very next Hebrew word is H 6440. Literally means the face in front of and before. So when Thames was mentioning that uh, you're supposed to be his emissary, you better know that. You better know that the whole reason why the bridegroom came to get the virgins, oh, you didn't know? Ladies and gentlemen, the whole purpose of them having the lamps is because if it was called at night, those lamps were supposed to light the way for everyone that was coming to the wedding. They didn't have for Pete's sakes. They didn't have street lights. Nope. Those ten virgins were supposed to light the way as they went house to house and the guests came out and would be escorted to the wedding ceremony. So you can't you cannot read this verse of Genesis chapter seventeen, verse one, and not realize that uh you're being called to be a virgin that will actually serves a purpose. And you have to be in motion. You have to walk as a light unto the other people that's invited, which includes everybody. And that may be upsetting if you're a you know, Eastern Orthodox. No, there ain't gonna be no Catholics that no, I I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, that's I'm sorry if you want to be special to the point of displaying hatred toward other people, but no. Every race, every creed, and every flavor in between. Ben? Amen. A amen. Amen and amen. I'm going to, um, well, should we talk about the name change? Or should we just, let's, um, do you want to do the name change now, or do you want to do this next stanza, and then we'll get it when we get to the next stanza? What do you want to do? Oh, since how you hesitated, we shall obviously do it after the next stanza. So read away. Amen. So starting in verse 9, And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you, therefore throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall, circumc you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall be surely circumcised. 
so shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Well, that's pretty straightforward. Um, Boy, that's awful harsh language. The uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. I've got a stupid question. Ben, uh, didn't you say this was supposed to occur at eight days old? Mm-hmm. Now, uh, what eight-year-old or what infant that was only eight days old would have a choice as to whether they were circumcised or not? Can Do you want to shed some light on that for me, please? Uh, they wouldn't have any uh, say in, in the matter, would they? No. Not at all. So, the real question is, how old was his first son from Hagar at this point? Uh, He should have been 13 years old, shouldn't he? That is correct. He would have been 13 years old. Because he was 86 years old when when he was born and 99 years old. That's right. So, that would put him at 13. That's right. So I expect that we're going to get some information about that in the uh, verses coming up. But you'll take note. Amen. You'll take note that we just talked about Jesus, right? Yeah. And, well, uh, that text states pretty plainly uh, when those events happened. Um, it states his age, no doubt about it. Uh, it stares you blatantly in the face. And uh, this is also tied up with the woman that had the issue of blood for 12 years. That's there in the text. Um, it's actually there quite a few times. And uh, he, of course, had 12 disciples. Mm-hmm. And this thought process goes on and on. But, you know, we can uh, read about this here, and maybe we just should. Uh, Luke chapter 2 and verse 41. His parents went every year to Jerusalem at the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. Joseph and his mother didn't know it. But supposing him to be in the company, they went a day's journey. Ah, yes. They stayed in motion. And they looked for him among their relatives and acquaintances. When they didn't find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. It happened after three days. They found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. Ah, yes. He was riddling them. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I were anxiously looking for you. He said to them, Why are you looking for me? Uh, Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? 
they didn't understand the saying which he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth. He was subject to them, and his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So we can see that it was after this event that he begins to increase in wisdom, stature, and in favor with God and men. So past the age of 12, which is 13. But I always did find that interesting, you know, Mary coming straight at him. Behold, your father and I were looking anxiously for you. And Jesus just, you know, just comes right out of the gates. Oh, really? I take it you meant Joseph because I'm in my father's house, so I know he's not looking for me. <laughs> so I always found that kind of funny. Uh, that, uh, you know, that kind of confused him. And it states right Amen. there. It states right there in verse 15. They didn't understand the saying which he spoke to them because they were confused. We're in Jerusalem. We're not in Nazareth. We're not at home. This isn't your. Oh, yes, it is my father's house. So, you know. Um,. But it's well, funny that well you just <laughs> you just they didn't understand the statement. They will sing a new song which no man nor woman can learn, <laughs> right? And twelve. What's twelve? There's how many months in a year? There's twelve, and he was twelve years old. So that's what? That's 144 months. That's right. And and that statement, um, ladies and gentlemen, before you get upset with what Jesus said. Remember what the prophet said in Isaiah 3, 4. I will make mere lads their princes and capricious children will rule over them. That's a capricious statement if there ever was one. Oh, my goodness. Uh, definitely. Um, saying this to your mother as she and your dad is looking for you, to answer them that way, you know... Uh, that is the perfect capricious statement, especially that all this is going on. The priest must have been looking at her and Joseph saying, uh, well, don't you realize that the crowd and the parents were completely confused because they were astonished at his teaching, but here burst in his mom and dad saying, where have you been? What have you been doing? We've been looking everywhere for you. And the priest, everyone present at this moment knew they were looking at this. These crazy parents was like, look, I hate to tell you. He does not need you. He obviously doesn't need you. So. A capricious statement, indeed. Indeed. Back to you. Well, and then, of course, you see that it, it, the text clearly says that he submitted himself to their authority. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but that's literally what the text is saying. Um, he did. Um, to your point about who needed who. Well, this goes back to what, what God told Abram, you're going to walk in front of me. You're going to be my emissary. And you have to choose to do that. You have to choose to walk in front of me. And that's what this text is plainly stating in Luke chapter 2. That Noah, Abram, and Jesus 
chose to walk before the Lord our God. Period. Amen. Amen. Um, I find it interesting that this word um, cut off uh, that's used here in the text, um, that word is karath, and when I did a search for it, it turns up 19 times in Scripture. The first one is Genesis 17, 14. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised, that's what we just read. And then 26, 28. Let's see what that says here real quick. Genesis 26, 28. Let me get down here. This is all about the promise to Isaac. Isaac and Abimelech, and then 28, they said, we see plainly that the Lord is with you. So we said, let there be sworn a pact between us, between us and you, and let us make a covenant with you. What is, what is it talking about there? That's throwing me for a loop. Can you help me a little bit? Oh, I probably can. What verse are you in? Genesis 26, 28, that's the next time that word karath is used. Mm-hmm. And you're wanting to know where that word is in this particular verse. Yes. Well, uh, you're probably having a little bit of trouble seeing it there because it probably represents a different Hebrew word. Mm-hmm. But it is here in that spelling uh, and let me just read to you a pretty rough version of um, well, what the Hebrew would actually state. Let me take a look at it. Okay. Okay. To exist, be twinkst. It's between. It's the word for between. Now, it's coming up here as uh, a distinction, uh, a separation, a dividing. So, yes, it is right here in front of your face. It's just that uh, in the English, we wouldn't say it that way. You Mm -hmm. understand? We wouldn't put it that Mm -hmm. way, Um, which is extremely important while you get to the original text. You'll be able to look at it. Uh, But there, uh, the English – let's let's see what the New American Standard Bible says. Yeah, it says between – the KJV betwinkst, uh, and it says mm-hmm. that twice. It says that twice. The the web says yeah between. So it it, it means yes, uh, exactly what you were stating there. It does mean to divide a separation point. Well, it reminds me of the guff between Abraham's bosom and Hades. Mm-hmm. This this guff, mm-hmm. this separation. The the thought that's coming into my mind, uh, forgive me, is when you see Orthodox Jews uh, in public, you know, they look different, um, their appearance, or even, you know, the, the customs, the things that, that they keep. Um, there's a difference. There's a distinction between that, um, those that are keeping to that. Um, is that a is that a appropriate interpretation of that word in that context? Yes, that it difference? is. Yes, it is. Yes, it is because this would represent the people that you see 
a lot of them that you see what's to make you think they were actually Jews. Mm-hmm. Because, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to enter into a union with an Orthodox Jew, you have to become one. Mm-hmm. So just because you see someone you know, exiting a building or something and facing east and start jibber-jabbering as they, you know, sway back and forth. That doesn't mean it's a Jew. It just means that that person at least has a covenant with a Jew. So, yes, it means this in more ways than one. In more ways than one, Ben. Yeah, you get it, you kind of get that, that flavor to it because, I mean... It, even even the commandment to not wear mixed fibers, that's talking of supposed to be clothed in, in the righteous acts that we commit. And you're not righteous acts should not be mixed with unrighteous acts. So the law is really a picture of, of what is to come and, and those that are keeping um, those laws are, are giving us a picture of those things. They are standing literally in between and and bearing testimony to what is to come, whether whether you can see it or not, that's literally what those actions are are showing you. Exactly. Just like the intermingling. I mean, we, we I already talked about marrying, but yes, it also means to intermingle. And there's a big, you know, been in past times, and I'm sure there still is today, uh, you know, the intermingling of races and yada, yada, yada. That was another extension of that. And to eat, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the particular types of animals we can eat. Uh, particular types of fishes we can eat. The purpose is for you to realize you're supposed to be walking with God. That means you're going to have to, well, make a covenant. If you don't, you're a breaker of that covenant. You are not walking before him. And when you do that, I mean, ladies and gentlemen, let's just talk about some common things today. Everybody hates to have someone standing over them. They hate it. You continually get the urge to look over your back, look over your back, look over your shoulder, look over your shoulder, left, right. Well, uh, yeah, that's exactly the type of attitude and aura you are supposed to be displaying. Because you're not going to do anything right in front of your father. (laughs) No, you're not. I mean, I tried it a few times with my dad when I was a child. Of course, he would, uh, him and my mom would sit behi- in the pew behind us. Be, you know, because my uh, brothers and sisters were just uh, too numerous for him to uh, reach all the way down or all the way across. So him and mom would sit behind us, and from her uh, maximum uh, left hand reach to his maximum right side reach, they had all of our heads covered. And yes, you could do something stupid like start laughing or start whispering and then you would have a ringing in your ears that would emanate from the center of your cranial cavity because you'd get, uh, you know, a nice swift rap on the back of your head from his or her knuckles. (laughs) Yeah, that'll square you. And at that age, not only would my feet not reach the floor... Both my mother and my dad's head was towering over me. So that's exactly what he's trying to relay to you. 
I mean, you need to follow the straight and narrow, but he means that in more than one way. You need to realize that the eyes of the Lord really is everywhere, and you need to be acting like he's literally looking over your shoulder, because he is. He is. Ben, back to you. Amen. Amen. Um, absolutely. And... Um... The circumcision here, uh, you mentioned a moment ago about um, when that's supposed to happen, and we see what happens with Shechem when that circumcision um, happens in adulthood, which is rather interesting, but I'll, I'll go on with this next, this next stanza. So starting in verse 15, And God said to Abram, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abram fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abram Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. Boy, everybody hates that. I mean, everybody hates verse uh, verse 20. Everybody hates that. But it is there. And uh, you have to understand that, well, <coughs> this is just the way it was going to be. And nobody has to like it, so when you when the rubber really hits the road, you better be looking for this these um well this to be a major theme throughout the text. Now, we already know that all Christians are considered to be the children of the promise, well, just per the book of Hebrews alone. We are the children of the promise. But God comes way out of his way and says that, well, you also are going to have the children of Hagar. Why? Because he heard Abraham. So this was going to tie into, obviously, Bible prophecy, and you should look for it. But there is the riddle of the wives three. Because Abraham's not done yet. But with this in mind... Um, I would expect from this point forward to look for some chronological markers. Uh, look for him to state something about time, because I know that time, we just read it in verse 17. Now, a lot of you probably didn't realize it was there. Because... Well, just so you know, the, the Hebrew language is alphanumerical in nature. It never had Arabic numerals. And right here in verse 17, 
is the numerical integer 2300. And if you don't know anything about prophecy or the properties of isochronal eschatology, you probably need to look into that, uh, ladies and gentlemen, because that 2300 is when God says himself that, well, things are going to be done. Now, uh, you can check out those prophecies at your leisure. We're not going to have time to obviously cover them tonight. But it's very important that you come to grips with uh, the prophecy of the 2,300 days from Daniel chapter 8. It's magnificently important. But that's there right straight in the Hebrew. When you're looking at the text, if you choose to look at the numbers, it states 2,300. Now, the odds of that are just uh, quite simply uh, beyond reckoning. Let's just put it that way. It's beyond reckoning. But verse 17, Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to, uh, said in his heart, Will a child be born to, born to him who is 100 years old? Will Sarah, who is 90 years old, give birth? And right there is the numerical integer, 2,300. Now, what's funny is, you know, Abraham says, you know, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Might live before you. It's almost like he wasn't asking him to go, you know, too far, but do you realize he was saying the same thing that God had told him to do? You're going to walk before me. And it's funny that God says, you know, no. Now, he does tell him, no. No. But I have heard you. So I have already blessed him, and I will make him fruitful, and I will multiply him exceedingly. He will become the father of twelve princes, no less. But not nations make him a great nation. So you should realize that something is coming with the isochronal nature of prophecy. I mean, this this is, well, one of the very first times you have a heads up. It is in here in the book of Genesis before now, but this is one of your major heads-ups concerning it. Now, Tim, should I remind everybody about the uh, that time frame of 2,300 or not? Because we don't have to waste time on it if you don't want to. I think we should, but I want to just interject one thing here real quick. Um the law that was laid out in Genesis is that everything reproduces after its own kind. And we talked before, I believe last time, that Ishmael literally means God will hear. And literally, um, the Lord just kind of memorializes that right here when he says the Lord has heard you. And then he proceeds to say to him exactly what he had already told the boy's mother in the preceding chapters. Amen. Amen. He was just uh, stating it a different way. He had already made his mind up. I mean, <laughs> well, he had already... Well, it's so hard for us to understand that. God already had all this worked out. So yeah, he was going to say it, say the same thing. He was just going to say it a different way. And, you know, take note. Uh, he was obviously thinking about this uh, in Daniel chapter 8. And it's 
just the way it is. I'm going to read uh, chapter 8, uh, 9 through 14. Out of one of them came forth a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south and toward the east and toward the glorious land. It grew great even to the army of the sky, and some of the army and of its stars it cast down to the ground and trampled them. Yes, it magnified itself even to the prince of the army, and it took away from the continual burnt offering, and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. The army was given over to it together with the continual burnt offering through disobedience. And it cast down truth to the ground and did its pleasure and prospered. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to that certain one who spoke, How long shall the vision concerning the continual burnt offering and the disobedience that makes desolate to give both the sanctuary and the army to be trodden underfoot? He said to me, To 2,300 evenings and mornings, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. I'm sure all of you probably weren't used to hearing it in that verbology. That was the World English Bible. Tam's your thoughts on that? Well, he he talks about two, he, he t- mentions two temporal um, allotments. He talks about the evenings and he talks about the days. Amen. Yes, he does. And uh, well, just just take note that uh, how many times did he mention stars and they would be, you know, cast down? Um, of course. Well, you'd have to realize that that's exactly when this sacrifice was done. It was done during twilight time. And as they were doing it, they would mark off either the evening stars. Or the morning stars. This is the sacrifice that went on every single day during twilight time. Which was literally, I believe, the time when Abram first walked through the, those uh, those offerings and uh, that great sleep came over him, right? That's right. It's, it's That's same right. exact point in time. That is right. So, you all might want to write that down that they're in... Genesis chapter 17, and that verse, I mean, it is magnificently important. There's no getting around it. That verse 17 contains the alphanumeric integer one or 2,000 and 300, and it's right there. He's wanting you to see it. He could see it, that's for sure. He did see it. He knew it was there. But, you know, I I mentioned that this is, you know, before, this is not the first time it's actually in Genesis. And maybe I should bring that up because, well, perhaps it's important enough to mention. It is, which is is isochronology, so um, so it should be, absolutely. Well, then I'm going to have to take you back to Genesis 6 because that's the first time it's there. Now, we've already read from Genesis chapter 6 about Noah being perfect, Mm -hmm. remember, or righteous. Well, verse 19, of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ship to keep them alive 
with you. They shall be male and female. So if you can't, if you can't see the evening and mornings there, um, the male and female there, if you can't see all flesh, if you can't see, well, Noah was doing what? Walking before the Lord. And in doing so, of course, he was alive. And the only place that you can be kept alive is there, walking in front of the Lord. So this is critically important. Uh, well, ladies and gentlemen, you know, you've probably got more information uh, just with us playing with these alphanumerical integers that then you'll probably ever hear from here forward. But yes, if you'd like to take a look at it and research it yourself, look it out. Search these things out. You can do it straight yeah, from let me say it. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. You can uh, figure out how to do this right from something as simple as Wikipedia. But uh, yeah. the, the first time this is in the Bible is Genesis chapter 6, verse 19, the one I just read to you. The next time is Genesis 17, verse 17. So you've learned a, a whole lot tonight, just that. Ben? Let's talk about this evening and morning a little more deeply, okay? Um, God's mercy renews every morning. And he tells you over and over again to not let the sun go down on your anger. Those two moments in time are polar opposites, but they have everything to do with one another. And as we get further into isochrono eschatology, you'll begin to see uh, this come up because we're, certain things are going to happen at night and other things are going to be happening in the morning. One very important one is in Judges. Um, one very important one is, is in the morning um, we're going to see here with Sodom and Gomorrah here very, very quickly. But just keep that in mind, ladies and gentlemen, that that, that evening, he told you not, let, not to let the sun go down on your anger for a reason. And he told you that those mercies renew every morning. And he also told you that when you are, when he's not pleased with you, there is no dawn. And I think we talked about that a couple episodes ago, but... I just wanted to provide some additional color. Amen to that. Amen to that. So I have stated that, but uh, people need to really write that phrase down. Um, there will be no dawn in you, and uh, research the Bible you've got. Study that, because uh, that phrase is very important, just so you all know. But as far as that's concerned, uh, my commentary on the matter, well, is at hand. So we can proceed to the next stanza, if you so choose to do so, Ben. Well, let's let's this name business. Speaking of alphanumerics, and this is really cool. I saw this first, uh, I don't know, about five years ago. Uh, the changing of the names, going from Abram to Abraham, going from Sarai to Sarah. The alphanumerically, Abram and Sarai calculates to seven fifty three. Abram is 243, and Sarai is 510, 753. In changing those names, Abram grows 
to 248, and Sarai, she becomes 505. But together, it's the exact same integer, which is just really cool. It's it's 753. I mean, that is just amazing. Well, of course it's amazing, uh, because uh, you've been told in the New Testament that once you uh, repent of your sins, uh, accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, he comes out very plainly and tells you that you will be made a new creature. Now, that doesn't mean you go through metamorphosis. That's not what it means at all. It means, well, <laughs> maybe you all should do some studying about that too. But when you, when a male is circumcised, they don't change either. Now, I know this is a little bit obscene for younger list, listeners if, if they, you know, have never taken, well, health class or sex education. But, ladies and gentlemen, uh, physically speaking, uh, a man is made straight. His, his literally, uh, what happens with a circumcision is his kinks are removed. Literally. No, really. Literally. His kinks are removed. And he becomes straight. But uh, he is not mutated. He does not change. He is created new. He no longer walks at the Lord's flanks or behind the Lord. He walks in front of the Lord and acts that way. He acts and speaks looking over his shoulder. Because the Lord his God is right there. Not only listening to everything that comes out of his mouth, but being able to eye his every gesture. So, uh, when he states in the New Testament that he creates a new creature, it doesn't mean you change. It doesn't mean, you know, all of a sudden you're, you know, a new race. Because that never mattered to him anyway. If you're black, guess what? You're going to be black after you get saved. It's not the external things that are going to matter. <laughs> what you do, that's what matters. Ben? Amen. My, my last comment about this stanza is, is it's, um, and this is subtle until you actually look at it, and then you're like, wow. I mean, at this point in time, the Lord has promised the son to Abram on multiple occasions, amen? Oh, and oh yes, multiple occasions by now. It's it's an isochronal event, right? And Abram says something that you know, if you're not paying attention, if you if you're just kind of doing the fairy tale version of this, you're going to miss. But he says, "Will a man have a child at, when he's a hundred years old?" And he just told you earlier on that he was ninety nine years old. So Abram is literally saying that this is going to happen in the next year. I mean, talk about prophetic. Yeah, he, he, he knew it was coming. He knew it was coming, and like we just stated, this is why the age of Jesus is stated to be 12. And from that point forward, well, what's forward? What? Oh, for Pete's sakes. He's trying to tell you something. He went way out of his way to tell you they were at the Passover. How many times a year does the Passover happen, Ben? Once a year. Once a year. He was telling you that the next Passover... Well, how do you think he was going to? So you think he was going to magically grow the next weekend? 
<laughs> no, ladies and gentlemen, he meant next year. He meant, Amen. well, when Jesus was 13, as Ishmael is plainly here, uh, Abraham knew what was coming. I mean, he's like, he thought it was absolutely ridiculous, but as it's plainly stated that, you know, he laughed. Are you really going to do this? It's not that he didn't believe the promise was going to be facilitated. That's not what he did. That's not what he was laughing at. He was trying to tell God, look, Lord, just come, you know, quit, quit riddling me. I know you're going to use Ishmael. But no, you're telling me I was already dead. And 13 years later, after I'm already obviously, I'm going to have another son. See, that's what he thought was ridiculous, right. not the promise. He thought that, really, really, Lord, after I had my heir 13 years ago, I'm going to have, you're going to give me another heir. I mean, he thought the Lord was joking with him. And he was kind of asking, and now I have given Ben something to look at. Well, what is the calculation for Abram and Hagar? And boy, you better oh. you you better have a sharp eye. <laughs> you better have a sharp eye. You better have I a sharp eye. I haven't done that one yet. Well, you better watch for them prefixes and suffixes, okay, Ben? But okay. he was he was trying to say, "What are you doing, changing Sarah's name? I've already got a son, and it's with Hagar. So, uh, what's that matter? What Sarah's name is or or isn't?" And God was like, "No." No. Yes, you were dead, and I gave you an heir, and we just waited 13 years, and I'm going to give you another one. But it takes a sharp eye, Ben, I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> but Abraham thought this was ridiculous. You already answered my promise. You're going to answer the promise twice? As a matter of fact, that's exactly what God was going to do. Amen? Amen. Uh, it's 451, which is the same um, as Ishmael, right? Well, you're asking me as if you don't know. Isn't or isn't it? That's what I get when I do when I do the calculation. Um, but but I hadn't what? looked at that yet. But I what? hadn't looked at it yet. I I hadn't looked at it. Do you have a problem? Do you have a problem with that? No, I don't. It's just amazing. Well, now prophetically, now we have a distinction, a clear separation between the woman, the male child, and the rest of her children. I yeah. mean, that's 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 what you've got. You should have expected that. Amen. But uh, Hagar and Ishmael. Um, Oh my goodness, if if anybody truly understood the place they will play, no one will supersede them. No one. Now, they are giving, given a place of absolute distinction in the kingdom of heaven that no one else can enjoy. And they can literally do whatever they want. Well, um... You, let's go back to Jesus. So the first thing he says whenever they walk out of the temple, oh, you think Jesus or Joseph just kept his mouth shut? 
Of course, he said, he probably grabbed Jesus by the shoulder and pulled his eyes toward his and said, you better never talk to your mother like that again. I know. Don't deceive yourself. <laughs> Amen. And, you know, they will be given a position. Uh, well, no one else will enjoy. But they will literally come and they will literally go however they see fit. And they're going to have to go through a set of circumstances when... We're talking all about the law, and you talk about looking over their shoulder, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, if they will be true enforcers of the kingdom, true enforcers. Uh, ben, back to you. Yeah, buddy. Well, I I did this while, while we were talking. I find it interesting that 13 years, there would have been a total of 156 times that Abram and Sarai would have been disappointed because, of course, seeing that uh, Ishmael had been rejected by the Lord um, and having relations with his wife, I'm certain that every month there would have been tears for a few days when when that uh, there was no signs of a conception, right? And when I look at the 156 verse in the Bible, that's Genesis 6.18. But with thee I will establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee. Now, now wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. I told you, we. I just told you about the verse before that. 17 has the, has the time frame when this is going to come together, when this is going to be executed, 2,300 days. Right. And what was right. that? Who else is in who, who? Read that verse again and describe to me every living thing that this was pertaining to, Ben. And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. So truly, Genesis chapter 6. 17 and 18, you realize what life is really talking about. Amen. And he's literally just come out and told you prophetically that look here. He literally point blank told you when judgment was coming. He literally just told you that something was going to happen 2,300 days later. Somebody's going to get their kink straightened out. And he's had no problem telling you that. Ben, back to you. Well, and to be fair, um, if kinks are being straightened out, it's because you haven't done it through circumcision. Amen? Absolutely. Well, what's circumcision? I'll tell you. I myself, I'm going to take uh, my family to Sunday school and church tomorrow. But that ain't going to cut it. Just so you know. Just so you know. I'll stand up and sing the hymns. Right? Amen? Amen. So I'll circumcise my voice. I'll circumcise my vocal cords and sing praises to the Lord. Many people will, will circumcise their wallets and, you know, pay their tithes and offerings. They ain't going to cut it, but 
I'm just giving you a literal example of um, how I'm circumcising myself, but that doesn't cut it. It doesn't cut it. Um, that is the end of the matter as far as I'm concerned. Amen. Amen. But I guess I should add this. I should not hesitate. This is why the Lord our God tells us not to forsake the gathering. But make no mistakes about it. Me going to that building tomorrow and doing the aforementioned things, those things don't cut it. But I must at least try to do those things or I am voluntarily breaking the covenant of that circumcision. Then I do the same thing on the opposite side. If you know, if I go to the bar, I'm breaking the covenant. If I go to any number of places that I know full well I shouldn't be, that is breaking the covenant as well. But the New Testament also explains these things to you in greater detail. It says to circumcise your heart. Ben, back to you. Well, I'm going to just the couple other things I'm going to point out to the uh, listener. Isaac um, calculates the 208, which is what Hagar calculates to. We mentioned that a moment earlier ago. And um, we already talked about the Lord hearing him, and that's literally passed down to Ishmael. But Isaac means he who laughs, which is literally what Abraham did in this particular stanza. So it's rather interesting just to, I mean, ladies and gentlemen, there's so many things. I mean, he tells us that even the spaces between the letters have meaning. And I'm just, I'm just playing here. I'm just like with finger paint, uh, you know, compared to what someone who's accomplished at this, like Matthew can do with it. But I'm just pointing out some very superficial things here that you'll, that you'll see here um, in the alphanumerics, um, in the text, just things, just that remind you, things that build your faith, things that when someone tells me that, that the Bible's just made up words, I, I laugh at them because there's so much here, just even superficially at the level that I'm talking about it right now, that edifies and reveals the uh, supernatural um, imprint uh, and life that is that is in the scripture. Um, the life is here. And we could study this. Go ahead, Matthew. Well, he just come right out and tell you who the capricious son would be. Because if you don't right. think that Abraham was being a capricious son when he laughed, I don't I don't know how to explain to that to to anybody further. I mean it's the obvious state of the case. Ben? Amen. Yeah, I just, you know, ladies and gentlemen, um, when you spend some time with your Bible, it's it's like a, you just get familiar with it, and, and it's, someone's not going to be able to convince you it's just a story because they have some letters behind their name, and they're on something on Netflix or Amazon Prime or some other show talking about all these ridiculous things. Those people actually haven't spent time in the Word, and they don't know all the little things that are there to edify and build your faith up as a believer. Um, 
And this is just scratching the surface. This is just, like I said, I'm just playing with finger paint right now. Well, let us continue. Let's uh, let's finish this, shall we? Amen. Amen. Starting in verse 22. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abram, Abraham, and then Abraham took Ishmael his son and all those born in his house or bought with his money, every man among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. And there we got it. Abraham was circumcised at 99, and a year later, well... The promise was fulfilled. So this was all obviously tied directly into Jesus and the very next Passover. Of that, there can be no doubt. Um, Amen. As far as my commentary on this, I think I have stated the case. And one phraseology that perhaps Ben could commentary on it's a simplified key went way out of his tell you and to show you that the pyramid scheme was going to have everything to do with this. Twice he said, bought with money. Mm-hmm. The purchasing. The snatching from the fire. He mentioned it twice. And twice for a reason. But, Ben, your comments. Well, I, I find that Abraham, to the best of his ability, did exactly what the Lord had told him to do. He didn't get very legalistic. He didn't make a legalistic argument and said, I'm not eight days old, and Ishmael's not eight days old. He didn't do any of those games, ladies and gentlemen. He did, to the best of his ability, what he understood the Lord his God to be telling him to do. God told him to be blameless. And he told him to circumcise anyone eight days old among you and all of the men of your house, either purchased with money or born in your house. And that's literally what he did. He didn't, he didn't find some legal argument to present so that he could get out of it. No, he presented no legal argument. All he did was act capriciously. Not technically. Let me say that again. Not technically, he didn't catch God in the details, he acted capriciously. Amen? Amen. And what verse is that from? The oh, yes. capricious sons? Yes. Uh, Isaiah 3.4. 3.4, that's right. Isaiah 3.4, look it up. Although that's not the only time it is there. Interesting. Interesting. Um, I've had a blast. I've had an absolute blast, Ben. I, I really have. And, uh, wow, I, I, the promise has been fulfilled. It was not an easy journey, that's for sure. Especially, uh, let me be a little bit capricious, shall I? A uh, boy was all the men in his train in for a hurting. <laughs> but, um... Uh, at last, it is done. 
the promise is fulfilled. And that's what you're thinking. All the loose ends has been tied up and everything's good, but... Well, there's something else to come. One whose name is Katura. And that's my closing comments that, uh, boy, boy, um, I'm so grateful. We have come to the last verse in this chapter. The promise is fulfilled. Amen. Amen. Amen, amen. And um, the show, this has been a lot of fun. Um, they've thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you, Matthew. Uh, you you sacrifice a lot of your time to do these things. And ladies and gentlemen, you might be intimidated by, by what other people know or what you think they know, but that journey, you know, the journey of a thousand miles starts with the first step and you just got to get up and you just got to have that movement. Just, just start reading. <laughs> and he told you, if you seek him, you will find him. He didn't say, you know, if you sit down and watch TV, if you put on the Super Bowl, no, that's not what he said. He said, if you seek him, you will find him. And there are all sorts of things in his word that edify and bear witness to the supernatural um, intelligence, which is in this word. And you only have to start searching it out to find it. This is just one method of it. There are missionaries who spent their whole life living on faith, never knew where the next meal was going to come from, never knew if stepping off that ship, if they were going to be murdered or if they were going to be accepted into the community that they were going to be a uh, blessing to. There are many ways that you can get in touch with the supernatural reality of God. We're simply giving you one taste or one perspective, one of seven different ways that, that we can experience the expression of who God is. And all of it is good. All of it is worthy to be praised. And I hope that in your life that you are pricked to come in contact with it. Well, unfortunately, God has uh, pricked me. <laughs> so you might want to snug up that seatbelt. We've been riding for a while. Ishmael was 13. We mentioned the 12, especially the 12 disciples mm -hmm. being a part of the construction of this promise. Revelation chapter 21, verse 14. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Well, I hate to break it to everybody, but I will. I will break it to you. Because you need to see it. You need to look into it. You need to see when these things happen. Acts, the very first chapter, but the very last verse... They drew lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Now, the timing is very critical here, because let me just ask Ben. So was Revelation inferring that Judas's name was on one of those? Or was he referring to someone else? 
Ben? I would say someone else, but you that's would, just a hunch. Well, you would definitely say he had to have been referring to Matthias, correctly? I mean... Right. Right. And you'll take note that, well, I can read it one more time. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Definitely 12 when there was obviously and overtly 13. Now, when did the Holy Spirit come? Is that earlier in chapter 1 or is that chapter 2 of Acts? Ben? Yeah, that's that, that comes on the day of Pentecost. Which is, well, let's go to the next. Now, I just read to you the very last verse of chapter 1. Here's the very first verse of chapter 2. Yeah. Now, when yeah. the day of Pentecost had come, very next day. Mm-hmm. So truly, even though Matthias, even though he was not with Jesus during the ministry in the whole nine yards, well, I take it that all the other 11 apostles knew that Abraham had laughed and they thought they'd better work these kinks out beforehand. What do you think, Ben? Amen. They didn't want to be capricious about the situation, did they? No. Well, that's my final com my final comments. It's just that God pricked me and I thought I should bring that out, so I did. So, once again, I had a blast. I absolutely had a blast. So we shall be back with you. Which chapter are we going to do next time? Ben? We're gonna move on or I think we'll continue to move on here until we get the the first sequence done, and then we'll we'll be able to jump around a bit and and see specific things. I was tempted to go over to First uh, Samuel chapter twenty um, this week, but we really need to get this foundationally down. Then we can then we can start to to do some fractal um, examples of these things over and over and over and over again. Amen. That sounds like fun. That sounds like pure enjoyment to me. Well, Ben, your goodbyes and how people can uh, connect with you, please. Uh, they can connect uh, with me on Facebook. I am not on there often, but I am in the group. So if someone uh, would like to reach out, they can do so there. Um and I, I again, uh, with respect to the new year and everybody, I just pray that you, um, you know, New Year's resolutions, let's use it, use it for good. Um, instead of thinking outwardly about, you know, losing that weight or, or making more money, do something internally with it. Try to be kinder this year. Try to be a little more loving. Try to try to get to know the God that you love uh, a little bit better. Um, maybe your New Year's resolution should be to try and pick up his book at least once once a week um, or pray or to give him praise. You know, put on some put on some music in, in the car on the drive. And instead of being angry with the person in front of you who's taking too long, use that as an opportunity to praise and give him give him praise. Because he surely is his due praise. Um, but just try to be a little kinder, a little more loving, 
a little more forgiving because the manner in which we deal it out is the manner in which we're going to have it dealt back to us. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. With that thought on New Year's resolutions, I shall read the next verse. I thought I was done. I should have knew better. We close with the next verse. Suddenly, there came from the sky a sound like the rushing of a mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were setting.